Marteau. Earlier this week, I was teaching a group of teenagers in the community, and um, <laughs> you know who you are. And uh, one of them said to me, Rabbi, I really liked your sermons on Rosh Hashanah. Oh, that's great. Wow, a teenager likes them. And they said, but I really, I didn't like your Taylor Swift reference on day one. And I said, why? And they said, I felt pandered to. I said, you know, you were, that uh, you were a pan or two. So, uh, so no Taylor Swift references for the rest of the holiday. And if you want someone to blame, it's uh, the teenager's fault. It's nice to see everyone here tonight. And it's nice to see you all looking so sharp. Tonight is a night to think about what we wear. In fact, Tonight might be the night with the most customs around clothing in the Jewish calendar. It's the only time that we wear our tali tote at night. Tradition says that we don't wear any leather at all. We don't wear shoes, or at least not leather ones. We wear white clothes or kittels. All of this is meant to facilitate our penitence, getting us in the mood to do teshuva, to repent our sins, because that is, of course, the project of the day and what the clothes remind us of. And for me, it's something I think of every time I put on my talit. The talis that I wear is not the one that I got at my bar mitzvah. That talis I had and lost somewhere in the middle of rabbinical school. I was worried. How could I keep showing up at Minyan without my talit? What would people say? My father had just bought a new talis for himself and so he sent me his old one to wear until I got something new. I noticed that it had a small stain on it, but I didn't want to look a gift talus in the tzitzit. So, <laughs> so I took it and I went to have it cleaned, but the stain didn't come out. I wore it for months and whenever I folded it up, I noticed the small red stain. Eventually I asked my dad, hey, there's a stain on this talus, and it was there when you gave it to me, and I can't seem to get it out. He looked it over, and then as if something sparked his memory, he said, Oh, I think this is the talus that we wrapped you in at your bris. <laughs> you'll, you'll, Caleb, you'll get it later, okay? It's okay. To which I replied, that is both beautiful and disgusting. <laughs> but it is the talus that I wear on weekdays to this day. A stained garment on Yom Kippur is appropriate because the image of Yom Kippur is one of washing away stains. That's one of the favorites of the rabbis. In the Midrash, they say that just as a curtain after becoming dirty can be washed and can be again become dirty and washed, so to Israel, although they are stained with sin all the rest of the year, Yom Kippur comes and makes atonement for them. As it is stated in the Torah reading from Yom Kippur, on this day atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you. And it's written, though your sins be as scarlet, God shall make them white as snow. 
the idea behind this teaching is that each misdeed of ours, each time this year that we fell short, it left a mark. Each time we did something we regret or acted improperly, our soul got a little bit grimier. All of our wrongdoings, our errors, and bad judgments have accumulated over this year on our soul like mud on a rainy day or dog hair from the sofa. With a year's worth of imperfections on our sleeves, we are in need of a cleaner. The image of washing ourselves clean from misdeeds is a common theme throughout our tradition. The image is enticing, perhaps, because it shows that our souls, when they come off the rack, are clean and pure. We dirty them through our deeds each year and simply need to get them clean. Yom Kippur, then, is the laundromat of the soul, where we come and present ourselves with all our blotches and blemishes, spots and stains, ready to be washed. The question that then needs to be asked is what kind of cleaning is the day of Yom Kippur giving our souls? It makes a difference because the way in which we clean something speaks to the nature of the stain itself and the nature of the cleansing process. Roland Barthes, the 20th century philosopher, had a, a project to explain the mythology behind many mundane practices. And he wrote about the mystique and psychology behind different kinds of washing. First, there is bleach. Bleach for Barth is like a liquid fire, which must be carefully measured or else the garment itself will be burnt and destroyed. He points out that the language we use around bleach involves violent, abrasive modification of the substance, that this product kills the dirt. This is certainly a model of tshuva. Fasting is powerful and dangerous. We see it as helpful for, helpful for teshuvah, but if not done in moderation, can damage the person trying to atone. The rabbis warn about excessive meekness and that over-apologizing for something once forgiveness is granted. Too much tshuva could be seen as a bad thing. Like bleach, teshuvah is also something which affects the entire garment, not just the stain. Whatever the offending act or attribute is, if the blemish has become a part of the fabric, then the only way to get rid of it is to fundamentally alter the fabric itself. Today, we say, Lifnei Hashem Titaru, we will be cleansed before God. Perhaps the only way to expunge some stains is to perform a tshuva that changes, even just a little bit, the nature of who we are. Detergent soaps are different. Unlike bleach, changing the nature of the garment is not their goal. The pride of soaps is that they restore the garment to be like new. Barthes points out that instead of being violent, abrasive scourges like bleach, detergents, on the contrary, are separating agents. Their ideal role is to liberate the object from circumstantial imperfection. Dirt is forced out, no longer destroyed. Removing circumstantial imperfection. This method of cleaning is present on Yom Kippur as well. We pray to God, quoting the Psalms, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. We're asking not that God change us or subject us to the fire which may burn us, but simply that God separate the dirt from our souls. The kind, this kind of cleaning is accomplished with the vidui, 
the confessional prayer in which we endeavor to name every possible kind of misdeed we could have committed. It is as though with each strike of the chest and mention of a sin, we're beating the dirt off our soul for the sin of arrogance. Oops, I missed a spot there. For the sin I committed through speech. Phew, got it. This method of tshuva implies that our souls in the original are essentially perfect and that our meanness, our misdeeds, cannot affect the true nature of who we are. We merely need some of the grit that they're clinging to us to be separated by the cleansing power of Yom Kippur. Barth's way of looking at cleaning is apt for both laundry as well as Yom Kippur. But there is one kind of blemish that he forgets and that Mytalis proves. Some tarnish can never be expunged. In our metaphor of stains as sins, I do not mean that misdeeds, some misdeeds are unforgivable. Our tradition believes anyone can repent for anything. Rather, there are some actions, the remains of which cannot be undone or washed away. Maimonides says that the full repentance is being in the same situation as you were when you committed the infraction and refraining from doing so a second time. And this is not always possible. For example, I will never again be a 12-year-old boy picking on my little brother, nor will the exact confluence of circumstances that went into creating what we called in college the honey incident ever come around again. When we cannot unmake an event or a character trait, when there is no way to get the stain out, the best that we can do is make amends, as I have with my little brother, so that while the stain in our past may not be gone, it is no longer as galling as it once was. Another option for that spot that just won't come out is to see it in a light so that the stain isn't something ugly but reminds us of a beautiful lesson. Shlomo Karlbach tells the story of just such a stain. Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev and Rabbi Baruch of Mizbij were going were good friends, but they were complete opposites. Levi Yitzchak was known for his ecstatic worship. When he prayed, he would sway and dance. Even when he made simple blessings, he couldn't help from wild gesticulations and was prone to fits of praise and love of God. Rabbi Baruch, on the other hand, was solemn and poised. He barely moved an inch while praying. And he sat at his Shabbat table, regal as a king. Levi Yitzchak wanted to spend Shabbat with his friend, Rabbi Baruch, and he said that yes, provided that Levi Yitzchak could tamp down his antics and behave in a civilized way, he could join him for Shabbat. Levi Yitzchak agreed, but told his friend that he could only control himself if no one spoke to him, asked him to lead any prayers, or even asked him a question. Otherwise, he wasn't sure that he could contain his joy. During dinner that Friday night, all eyes were on Levi Yitzchak. Everyone wanted to see if he could control himself or not. Throughout the evening, everything seemed to be going fine. As Rabbi Baruch made Kiddush, Levi Yitzchak sat on his hands and managed to answer with a restrained Amen. Then, as was the Hasidic custom in those days, a student came around with a plate of sweet fish and sauce as an appetizer. The student asked Levi Yitzchak, would you like some fish? And Levi Yitzchak said, do I like fish? I love God. As he shouted, he swung his arms wildly, upending the platter of fish and sending a huge piece right 
onto Reb Baruch's gleaming white talus. The students, the family, yet Levi Yitzchak, they were aghast. Levi Yitzchak kept apologizing and everyone rushed to take the talus to begin to clean it when Rebbe Baruch said, no, don't clean this talus. This talus was stained by someone who loves God so much that they can't even eat some fish without exploding in joy. <laughs> don't ever clean it. Reb Baruch teaches us that sometimes if we think about the motives behind the actions, even ones that might damage us, we can be able to see them in a new light. We are not evil people. When we make mistakes or hurt others, it usually does not come from a place of malice. So too are most offenses against us not born out of hate. Reb Baruch saw the stain on his talus not as something made by someone who is thoughtless and rude, but he saw the positive side of Levi Yitzchak's actions, his love, and his enthusiasm. Perhaps some of the things we have done this year were simply acts born out of good intentions but poorly carried out, or perhaps they were intentional but the other party has made amends, and while the mark is still there, it now represents the care that went into making things right again. One of our jobs as both the, as both the person atoning as well as the person forgiving is to take the time to think about the motives behind the misdeeds. Then perhaps even the stains that won't come out will be cherished for what they represent. This summer, my wife took our six-year-old to the beach, or I believe, as you say, down the shore. <laughs> it was just the two of them. It was a cold, rainy week at the beach, and he only brought one sweatshirt, a new white sweatshirt. You can see where this is going which he wore every minute of every day. Every moment on the beach was in that sweatshirt, every slice of pizza, every ice cream cone, every pretzel with mustard. Being six, most of these things ended up not in his mouth, but on the sweatshirt. At the end of the week, Aaron said to him, wow, we're gonna have to wash this well when we get home, to which he, without missing a beat and not even knowing his Abba was going to give a sermon on this topic said, you can't wash it. It has all my memories on it. <laughs> the stains were cherished to him. And while they did come out in the wash, thankfully, the sweatshirt and the memories that they represented remain. We have seen three different ideas of how Yom Kippur can wash our souls clean. It can bleach them, changing the entirety of ourselves in an effort to remove the stain. Yom Kippur can remove our sins through gentle wash that separates the things that aren't really us from the pure souls that we all have. Or the stain can never fully be removed. And Yom Kippur is a time to make amends with the stains we have absorbed and perhaps even find beauty in the color they add to our lives. These three options essentially change, shake it off, or turn it into a good thing are the three options that we have when dealing with the blemishes we carry and those we've created. Perhaps, like dirt, pasta sauce, red wine, each of these three cleaning methods are best for different kinds of stains. As we sit here tonight and tomorrow and reflect on our lives, we may find there are things about ourselves that we want to change completely. Character traits, habits, patterns that we want to be totally different. For those things, we need the bleach of a big day of change, 
or to continue our metaphor, send out for professional help to reshape and remake. Other negative acts may only require some regular washing, apologizing to those we've wronged and making restitution to wipe the dirt away and be like new again. Then there are some pieces of ourselves, some deeds done that cannot be excised or erased. For these, we have to work to transform the stain into something good, because either because we cast it in a new light or because after tshuva, the stain comes to represent not a rift, but a relationship repair. This is true not only with our personal wrongs that we've done or the attributes we want to change, but stains in our society of which we surely are a part. Some blights can be changed systemically, fundamentally altered in the way that our society operates. Others are only need, in need of a wash to make our world better, while still other ills can never be repaired or erased, but must be made beautiful in their diverse coloration. We must all be a part of the collective cleaning of our culture. There are patches of dirt we've all helped create in our world, and it's on all of us to start washing. Finally, let's talk about bubbles. What is the one thing, no matter what kind of cleaning and how, that we all look for? Suds. My understanding of how these work is that bubbles are not a part of how soap makes things clean. They aren't even necessary. Companies often add chemicals to make soap lather because without bubbles, we don't think the soap is working. While bubbles are actually useless to the cleaning process, their proliferation allows one to suppose that there is something vigorous going on beneath the surface. We need to see bubbles because that is what indicates that something deeper is happening. Chuva is not without its bubbles. The white garments, the crocs with suit pants, the fasting, and even the praying that we engage in on Yom Kippur are powerful reminders that it is time to start doing tshuva, but they are not the tshuva. They are the bubbles that let everyone know something important is happening beneath the surface. So throughout Yom Kippur, as we think about the things we've done and the atonement we must do, we think about the nature of that atonement. Do we need to change, clean off the dirt, or find beauty in the stain. Whatever the answer is, it will likely be a little bit of all three. We should remember that the real work must be done is in ourselves and between us and others. Without the hard work of scrubbing each and every stain, lifting each and every blemish, without inner and interpersonal washing and rinsing, the rest of this is just bubbles. Gamar Chatima Tovah.